0: A Fabringan, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Afton, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen. only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton, good to be with you on this beautiful Tuesday. Thank God the weather here in Johannesburg is much better than last week, at least if you don't love the cold. And it's good to be with you. It's a special day. It's Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month of Tammuz, which means that we're literally exactly three months away from Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the month of Tishrei. And gosh, a lot to think about there, what Rosh Hashanah is going to look like this year. Not that we're prophets or anything, but sometimes it's good to prepare. But that's not what my show's about. Um... My show is actually about the song you just heard, and that is Giant Shoulders. There's a famous analogy that's given to explain how it's possible that our generation, the one we are in right now, will be a generation in which transformation will happen, in which we will be able to bring the change we were always intended to be, to, to bring. You know, there's always the Mashiach talk. There's recently in town been quite a strong hype up and positive energy about the idea of redemption of Mashiach. Lots of well attended Zoom classes and lectures, and it's been quite the topic of conversation by many. And often the question you receive from people is, are you actually kidding me? Our time today, in this day and age, you're telling me that in our world, we are going to get Mashiach if the People of the past didn't get it. If Moses couldn't bring Mashiach, if Avram couldn't bring Mashiach, if all the great men and women of Jewish history and of all history couldn't bring this world to the climax and to a world of perfection, shouldn't we uh, be, you know, aren't we overstepping our own value by thinking that, that Mashiach will come in our time? And the rabbis gave the analogy of a giant and a, a, a young person. There's a giant that comes to a mountain, comes to a wall, and wants to look over the wall into a beautiful castle, a beautiful garden. And the the wall, unfortunately, even if he steps on it, stands on his tipping toes, The giant cannot look over the wall. There's still a few meters or a meter that is beyond his look. He could jump, but he can't really see anything. And he has this young little boy next to him, young little kid. And the giant looks at the kid and says, why don't you climb onto me and you'll be my eyes? You'll tell me what you see. So the kid is the one that actually gets to see what's beyond the wall. If the kid thinks that's thanks to his or her credit, they're imagining because... They're, I don't know, one-tenth the size of the giant, and it's the giant that picked them up, and they're just becoming the eyes of the giants. They're standing on the shoulders of giants. And that analogy has been used to explain our time. You see, something that people don't appreciate about history is that history is a compounding process. What do I mean? What your grandparents or great-grandparents, or even people unrelated to you, did a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, the battles they fought both within and without, the acts of goodness they did, the challenges they overcame, it wasn't just to give them a place of paradise. That that's the smallest of the prizes. Every challenge that has ever been undertaken by any good woman and men around the world, which which they overcame join together to build an accumulative amount of incredibly positive energy. And each and every one of us, based on what we do, our energy, our positive vibes and goodness that we bring into the world, joins together with all the goodness that's been done for millennia. And at some stage, it reaches what we call a tipping point. At some stage, the world will be saturated with so much goodness and so much positive, godly energy that we will hit that tipping point when God will finally remove darkness from this world and bring light and energy forever. That's what we believe, and that's the way we see the Mashiach process. And for me, I've always found it deeply meaningful that what I'm doing, the battles I'm fighting here in 2020 are not isolated from the battles that my grandparents fought in 1920 or my ancestors fought in 1820, etc., etc., or what the Jews struggled with in the desert. We're all part of one big, sorry for using the word because it has a bad connotation, one big army that is here to fight darkness and overcome impulse, temptation, weakness, Doesn't mean we always win, but every time we do win, we bring light into this world. And that's why Maimonides, eight, nine hundred years ago, already said that a person should always consider themselves and the world shuckle even. And it's like a scale and two even sides. And a person must think that one positive thought, deed or word can tip the world and bring the redemption. Maimonides already said that almost a millennia ago that we have to see that what we're doing is compounding to everything that's been done till now. We are carrying on a legacy of thousands of years, and our actions matter, our thoughts matter, our words matter. And for me, this idea, this single idea, is one of the most powerful ideas that have transformed my life, to understand that the little battles I fight within my own self, whether it is To overcome anger, to overcome jealousy, to be kind, even at a moment I want to be selfish. Whatever it is, all battles of human experience are not just about me and God. And it's not just about me and my, you know, Ganeda and my heaven. It's so much more than that. It is adding energy for the whole world and accumulative with what everyone else is doing and has done. I am joining all people of the present and all people of the past in that accumulative effort of reaching a stage when we've done enough to earn and to reveal the coming of Mashiach. And this idea, which is an idea that already was formed many years ago, but especially articulated by the Arizal and then by the great Hasidic masters, is such a transformative and beautiful way of looking at what we do. Your actions matter. And why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because we find ourselves now two days before the side of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe means a lot of things to different people. But one of the things he's always meant to me is this idea that he always reminded us that our actions matter, that we matter. Not through pop psychology, rah, 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 you're good, you're fantastic, you're the best thing since sliced bread. No, through giving us perspective on life and why our role in life matters so much. The song I want to play for you now is actually from the same CD that I played a song earlier. The song is called Rifa'ini, which means Please Heal Me. It's a long but beautiful song. It's a song of prayer for healing, and I just thought it's appropriate for the time we're in right now where we all pray for physical healing, emotional healing. I dedicate this to all those who need healing. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shul. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shul. And earlier in the show, we were talking about this idea of giant shoulders, that what we've done in our lives and what our parents done has been all accumulating towards one process. Recently, I've had quite a few lectures that i have spoken about the concept of redemption of Mashiach. And one thing I've found over and over talking to various crowds is that it's so important to have context. For many of us, when we learned about Judaism, our Judaism went something like this. And I say this in no judgment. I actually say it in admiration. We learned about ideas. We learned about Chagim, holidays. We learned about mitzvot. We learned about God. We learned about davening. We learned, maybe even learned some Talmud or Mishnah or whatever we've been exposed to in our lifetime. But often we lack a single narrative to bring it all together. Okay, so I'm praying. I'm getting close to God. I'm learning. I'm bringing God into my mind. I'm understanding godly intelligence. I'm doing a mitzvah. I'm doing what God wants from me. But what's the congruent and coherent message behind it all? What's the underlying principle of what we're doing? And the rabbis and mystics tell us that it is all about bringing light into this world. It's about making this world saturated with godliness. You know, I remember hearing from many, many people will still say that you live in this world and the point is that you then go to heaven and you live happily ever after based on the work that you've done over here. And that this world is a waiting room for the next world. But there's a different way of looking at it, which is equally as valuable and as true and maybe more, even more meaningful. And that is that this world is where everything happens and the next world is the waiting room. And let me explain. One of the 13 principles of faith, actually the 13th principle of faith, is I believe with perfect faith. That the resurrection will happen, we say it every single day in the Amidah three times. We say that every funeral, just as we begin every funeral. Um, unfortunately, I had to do a funeral this week, and the first words we use is from the Amidah: "Atagi Barla Hashem, Echayem God, you are strong, you are mighty, and you will resurrect the dead. We say this literally before we've even put the deceased in the ground. Um, we say the namidah every single day. And the question is, why is resurrection of the dead not only such a principle of faith, but so often repeated that it has to make it into namidah every single day and into every single funeral? And the answer is, because what is ultimately the resurrection? It's not just like, oh, once one day it's going to come and my mother-in-law or my great-grandmother or whatever is going to come back and we're going to suddenly get along and everything's going to be great. No, there's something much deeper. Where is the world... In which God builds a relationship with us is it in heaven or in this world go with me on this take me you know go with on this journey on this you know theoretical journey but I think very very meaningful where does the relationship get nurtured so the you might say at first glance that souls in heaven spirits whatever you want to call them energies have a much closer relationship because there's no temptation there's no sin So our deceased parents or grandparents or those who've lived before us, I often think that, you know, just, you know, the idea of our mortality, it often hits me that there's today, as we speak, there's not one person alive who lived in the 19th century. I think it's like a, it's, it's so obvious, but it's like it hits you, that like every single human being in the 19th century is no longer here. And it's probably very few from the first decade of the 20th century. So where do we build a relationship with God? Do we build a relationship in heaven where, where we're perfect? Or we do we build a relationship in this world where we're not? And the, and the sages teach us that the relationship we build with God actually is here, not there. And I'll tell you why. Because when a soul is in heaven, in, in paradise, they're not in a relationship with God because they're not choosing him. They're consumed within his presence. In other words, God's light his energy, his potency, his power is so great that all souls are consumed within that energy and they're literally become one with God. But there's no relationship in this world, however, there is a relationship. Why? Because I'm choosing whether to believe in God or not. I'm choosing after I believe in him to have a relationship with him. I'm choosing the dynamics, of the relationship. Nobody's forcing me. And because I'm choosing this relationship, it's a relationship because I don't really have a relationship with myself. I am myself. But when I have a relationship outside of me, a person who has a mind of their own and together we choose to commit. And the best example is a healthy marriage, a healthy, committed relationship. When two people commit to that relationship, therefore, it has an incredible beauty. And that's why. According to the Talmud, the holiest of all the writings of the prophets is the book Shir Hashirim, Kodesh Kadashim, holy of holies in the words of Rabbi Akiva. And yet when you open Song of Songs and you read it on literal translation, it's, it's a love poem. And that's why if, if you go to an article translation, they don't even translate it literally because they, they give you the context, which is a relationship between the Jew and their creator, between the person and their creator. But the fact that the King Solomon, who wrote the Song of Songs, chose to use the book, the analogy of a passionate romantic relationship as the ultimate example of the relationship between us and our creator says something. Because there's something unique in that relationship that almost doesn't exist in any other relationship. We choose each other. I didn't choose my kids. They're part of me. They have my DNA. I didn't choose my parents, I didn't choose my siblings, I did choose my spouse. And the truth is, every day I I spend another day with the spouse and work on the marriage is another day of choice. I'm choosing, although we're not biologically bound, we're choosing to stay together and actually build something incredible. And that analogy is used, obviously no analogy is perfect, but it's used to explain our relationship with the creator. That in this world, in this world of free choice, in this world where God is not revealed, and I could technically deny its existence, in this world, you can argue God exists, and you can argue God does not exist, and both opinions cannot be proven. It's a fact of life. You cannot prove with 100% certainty any of those things. So ultimately, whether a person chooses to be a believer, an agnostic, or an atheist... At some stage, they're going into the realm of faith. They're going into the realm of it just resonates more. Because if it's absolute 100% um, proven fact, no, that's the, it's, it's the game God plays with us that we can't choose through intellect to, to believe that he doesn't exist, that the world did just evolve from atoms and that we do come from monkeys and the whole narrative Outside the Bible, a person can be a logical, decent, good person and believe that whole narrative. And a person could be a logical, decent, good person and believe the narrative of the Bible. And both people are quite reasonable. And I think it's important to to realize, as long as people are not doing it just to antagonize and people are not close-minded, I think both opinions are reasonable. So the fact that when I say reasonable, I mean that they come, they come from a good place and good people could be behind it. And why did, if I believe in God, which I do wholeheartedly, then why would God create a world where you can deny him, where it's possible to actually have a discussion about God? As I was talking to a class yesterday overseas, that's the gift of Zoom. You could be teaching all over the world and just learning from all over the world. And I said, like, you know, I'm sitting in my room right now. I'm sitting on a chair. I'm talking to you on Skype. I'm talking to you on the radio. Imagine my whole... Um, show today was proving to you that radio exists. You would think i 'm mad. I mean the mere fact that you 're hearing my voice right now proves that radio exists, but th- often we have topics every other day you could go you could see religious leaders across the world are going to offer discussions on does God exist and that 's a reasonable discussion now how is that reasonable for a believer who believes God exists? And it's like as factual as the fact that I'm talking to you right now over radio. And yet God created a system in this world where we don't see him. And yet we choose him. So where does the ultimate relationship between us and our creator happen? Not in heaven, in this world. And therefore, where is the ultimate reward for what we've accomplished in this world When we chose God, the ultimate reward can only happen when we're souls in bodies, because ultimately it wasn't our soul that chose God. Our soul is Godly. It's our body. It's our physical, lustful, materialistic body who nevertheless chose to overcome its natural impulses and dedicate itself to a higher cause. It's that which chose God. And therefore, heaven is not the ultimate reward. Heaven is a waiting room. Some people... I've been there for thousands of years. Some people are there for a short time. And please, God, all of us won't have to go there at all, because Mashiach will come soon. Where we then go straight into the ultimate reward, neshama begufim, souls in bodies. Because our reward, our ultimate connection with God is that within our bodies that struggled so much, we finally get to bask in God's glory. So in that way, it's going to be like heaven. We're no longer going to have temptation. Our body is no longer going to pull us downward. But it will be souls and body. And that's why the idea of resurrection is so fundamental. Because it gives meaning not to only what's going to happen, but what's happening right now. That what you do matters. That every struggle you overcome with your body matters. would love to hear your thoughts. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi And this is... Fabringen every Tuesday 1 to two, on Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Atson. We've been on the show and we've been talking about perspective of the idea of what's going to be in the future where Mashiach comes, the idea of resurrection, and appreciating that whatever we go through now has incredible value, not only for the moment, but for all time and for all places. I remember the first time I really understood, you know, often you hear a lot of discussions and you hear lots of ideas as a child, and children's education is so important because you're forming them, but often the things we hear as children don't necessarily permeate us in it, or consciously, I mean, and we don't really get what we're learning. So like you could learn something, you could say it over and over, but you don't actually get it. And sometimes you just get it. Like, you know, many of us have uh, lessons to learn in our lives. And sometimes we could go through the same lesson over and over and over, and we just don't learn the lesson, you know, whether it is that we fall into bad relationships, whether it is we, you know, uh, gosh, make bad financial decisions. A lot of us, the truth stares us in the face. But until the truth doesn't not only stare us in the face, but actually penetrate our brain, and get digested in our psyche in that, till that moment, it doesn't actually hit us. So I remember that, t- that time, it was, you know, in my twenties when I suddenly realized at some stage that my relationship with God is actually a relationship, that what I do matters to him and that I can have a conversation. I can be in a passionate relationship. Sometimes it's more passionate, sometimes it's less passionate, sometimes it's more vibrant, sometimes it's less vibrant, but it is a relationship. And that this world is not only about me accumulating a, p- a piece of paradise, but rather it's about the value I add to others and to God's world, and give God a home within this world. You know, because for many years I, I, I was hearing the narrative that I'm in this world, as I said earlier, just to get paradise. But the problem with that philosophy, obviously it's true that we do get paradise. But, you know, our parents go there once they pass away. And during the year we say Kaddish and we bring them to heaven. But if the whole point is that I just go to paradise and ultimately it felt like the, my whole lifetime I'm not serving God, I'm serving myself. I'm just creating a nice mansion for me to stay in once, you know, my time is up. And then when I understood that's a relationship, is it, it It gave me such meaning that what I'm doing, the battle I'm doing is actually adding light into the world. And every time I add light to this world and everybody else adds light to the world, we get a stage closer. And the ultimate stage is, in the words of the prophets, V'nigla k'vait Hashem, God will be revealed. V'ra'u and all flesh, in other words, all physical beings we'll see bear that God's mouth is speaking. Once and for all, we'll actually see the real deal. That's the messianic promise. And it's a promise for all people, not only for Jews, it's for all mankind, all good, decent people who um, fight the good fight and overcome their own impulses and add good value to this world will be part of that messianic era. And if we can have... We could appreciate that what I do every single day is bringing God's revelation into this world closer. And God dreams of that day. God dreams of the day that He can be in a warm and revealed relationship. You see, why isn't why is God hidden? That's a big question, and I'm supposed to answer that in the few minutes I have left. But let's just get some perspective. Sorry for the noise in the background. I am doing this live. Um, from home. Um, let's get some perspective. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. At that time, God was revealed. They were talking to God face to face. God calls out Adam, he talks to Eve, he talks to both of them. We're told, according to the Midrash, God actually braided Chava, Eve's hair, and brought her to the marriage ceremony between her and Adam. They were like a very close, warm, revealed relationship. And what happens, Adam and Eve, not too long after, abused the relationship, and God tells them to do something. They didn't do it. Now, the sages explain what happened over there. At a a basic level, what happened is that they hadn't earned that revelation. They were just born into it. They were born into wealth. They were born into abundance. They were born into a world where talking to God was just normal. When you're born into that world, you abuse it because you don't even, you take it for granted. It's the human condition. Think about COVID and what we re- suddenly realizing we've been taking for granted during our lifetime. For most of us, pretty much, I'd imagine everyone's sitting over here, planes were created before our, everyone listening planes were created before our lifetime cars were created before our lifetime we've taken so much of our world whether it's travel business social relationships social dynamics for granted and now we're not that's what happens when you're born into something you don't realize that sitting on a plane and flying to the other part of the sky as i remember one comedian describing he says you sit on a chair you put on a seatbelt, close your eyes and you wake up another side of the planet. It's, it's an unbelievable phenomenon, but that's the world we grew up in. Okay. We just go on planes and that's what we do, or we go into cars and that's what we do. We don't sit on donkeys or horses that for that we just do for a nice experience at the zoo. When you take something for granted, then it can never be a meaningful relationship on both sides. So what does God do? God re- removes his revelation after Adam and Eve. And ever since then, we've been in this game of hide-and-seek with God. Sometimes he's more revealed, like at Sinai, in the times of the temple, in each and every one of us when we have miracles in our lives. You have a baby, and at that moment you just feel God's presence. And often even on sad times, like death, often people will tell me they feel the presence of the divine or something powerful in the room. But on the most part, it's unrevealed. And the point is that as we battle collectively, each time in this darkness to do the right thing, we are slowly earning this relationship. And when we earn this relationship, we then enter into a world which is everlasting, that we're told that the third temple, the third holy temple built in Jerusalem, this one will never be destroyed, because this is not a freebie, it's earned. In the words of the Talmud, it's not Nahamad Hisufa, bread of shame. Bread of shame means that you didn't work for it. There's no pride. But on the other hand, everything we've been through, whether it is the sacrifice Of you know people literally dying Or this emotional sacrifice Or any other sacrifice And commitment that we have in our life Each time we are Making this world a better place And each time we do so We transform this world So think about this Next time you have a little battle You're a bit irritable You want to blow your fuse Uh, You're feeling jealous Or you're feeling sorry for yourself Again, any of us That's the human condition We have moods we have feelings. But to remember this perspective and sit there saying, gosh, my battles matter, not only for me, not only for my loved ones, but for the whole world. I can transform this world because, gosh, if our world has not been tra- transformed by a few individuals in the last few months, if we haven't learned that lesson, then what have we learned? This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. So in a few short minutes I have left, let me just finish off with a prayer. As I mentioned, we live in incredible times, in challenging times, but we also live in what I believe is messianic times. When exactly Mashiach comes, I pray every day that, he, that it arrives and that it happens today. But in that process, when, as we wait, to just remember that what we go through matters, Unfortunately, in the past 24 hours, I've spoken to so many people and so many people have reached out and shared some people's stories of incredible beauty during this time, but some people heartbreaking stories, absolutely heartbreaking, devastating. And sometimes you actually don't know what to say. Like there's no, there's no words. And I always say like, I honestly don't know what to say, but here's what I do know that everything we go through matters. And each battle we overcome and each time we wake up and again and face today despite our challenges, we make this world a better place. Not only in our own lives, not only for the people that depend on us, but for all humankind. And if we could appreciate that idea, which is an idea that Lababa Rebbe, whose yard site on this Wednesday night, Thursday reiterated over and over that our actions matter, that we matter, that our that we contribute to a collective human mission if we internalize that and we could live with that and allow that to uplift our mood and uplift our perspective i believe we've truly bought into one of the one of if not the most important idea in our life i want to finish off with a nice upbeat song by yakov shweki it's called i am alive which i think is a good perspective at this time just to be grateful this is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi of Linksfield Show. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Chai FM. Have a great day.